Today on the Matt Wall Show, we will follow the saga of OnlyFans. First, it announced that it was getting rid of pornographic content, but after a huge backlash from the public, the company has backtracked. What does this whole drama tell us about our culture? We'll talk about that today. Also, the rapper Busta Rhymes delivers one of the best anti-mask speeches we've seen yet, and he did this at a concert. We'll play that. I think it's pretty great. And the Republican governor of South Dakota says that she will not prevent employers from imposing vaccine mandates. And also, Planned Parenthood gets into the trans hormone therapy uh, replacement game. Plus, in our daily cancellation, we will ask the very important question, is air conditioning racist? The answer might surprise you. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. About a week ago, OnlyFans announced that it was banning sexually explicit content. Now, when I first heard that, I was relieved, but also confused because I didn't realize that my local ceiling fan store sold porn in the first place. And I apologize profusely for that joke. I'd just been waiting for a week to use it and decided to finally put it at the very beginning of the show as a means of introducing what is actually a pretty serious conversation. It's not my fault, though. When the pun is there, I have to take it. That's my solemn obligation as a dad. Anyway. Back to OnlyFans, the real OnlyFans, the site which officially bills itself as a platform for content creators to interact with their fans, but which actually isn't, has always been a direct-to-consumer porn site where the average woman can whore herself out to uh, paid subscribers. Last week, when you heard those wails of anguish emanating from our nation's ever-growing community of prostitutes and sex-starved losers, that was the moment when OnlyFans announced that it would be banning pornographic material from its platform. Now, the move came as a surprise to almost everyone, myself included, because OnlyFans banning porn is like Texas Roadhouse going vegan. You know, it's just not what you expect. They're abandoning their core business model. The difference, of course, is that Texas Roadhouse's core business is good and delicious, while OnlyFans is bad. The CEO of OnlyFans later clarified that he was forced to make the change because various banks, he said, were refusing to work with him, worried that their you know, reputation was at risk if they were partnering with a smut peddler like himself. And uh, this was all a surprise, but it, it was an objectively positive development. A good surprise. Most people, though, didn't see it as positive, however. As mentioned, those prostitutes and sex-starved losers were not happy. The latter group cried out in protest, distraught, that Instead of being able to access pornography on 7 billion different websites, now they could only access it on 6,999,999,999 websites. I mean, whatever will they do? We've seen time and time again, porn fans cannot handle even the slightest obstruction, the mildest impediment, the smallest hurdle being placed in their path as they pursue their cherished hobby of watching strangers have sex on the internet. They can't handle it. If you so much as suggest that, uh, that uh, Pornhub should have a little box you have to check to at least confirm that you're over the age of 18, most porn fans will say, no, 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 that's an infringement on my rights. Don't make me check a box first. But the loudest voices speaking out against the policy change were the legions of prostitutes who depend on OnlyFans to facilitate their self-debasement and self-objectification in exchange for money. Where else would they go if they wanted to charge strangers 15 bucks a pop to stare at their genitals? Well, it seems they could go almost anywhere, including down to the street corner, given that this is, again, simply prostitution. But they preferred OnlyFans. And out of all the websites where strangers might stare at their genitals, OnlyFans was the classiest and most prestigious. 
Over the following week, therefore, the media published many tearful profiles of hardworking, decent, middle-aged women who, tragedy of tragedies, may now be forced to get real jobs. Truly unthinkable. Here's uh, one such report, I think a representative sample from People.com. It said, this is from a couple days ago, it said, OnlyFans creators are continuing to grapple with their uncertain future in the days following the platform's controversial decision to ban sexually explicit conduct. Let's just pause there for a minute and say, it's controversial to not sell, to, to not have sexually explicit content is controversial. Anyway, it says, model and life coach Courtney Tilia tells people she is one of the creators who was blindsided by the new ban, which is expected to go into effect in October. A 34-year-old mother of four, Tilia says she taught special education for six years before her battle with depression led her to transition into a modeling and fitness career. Two and a half years ago, she launched her OnlyFans page and says that she now earns a six-figure salary. It was shocking, Tilia says of the ban announcement, which she found to be very sudden and vague. She adds, it also feels, leaves us feeling not so great because we were the ones who built that platform and made it into what it is today. We made it a brand that people know, and to go back on the people who built it, it's pretty awful, she continues. Yes, Courtney was depressed. And we all know the best cure for depression is to turn yourself into an object for creepy men to consume. That's why porn stars and prostitutes have such famously low rates of substance abuse, depression, and suicide. A real mentally and emotionally stable bunch, as we all know. Courtney continues, uh, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with being liberated and being able to share myself in different ways. Different ways. I started this for my own expression. I had no idea there was so much money to be made in it as there is. Tilia, who first spoke to TMZ, notes that the money she's made from the platform has allowed her to buy a house, provide for her children, and travel extensively. Truly, you know, I can think of no plight as tragic as that of a 34-year-old life coach named Courtney who wants to be able to get naked for strangers so that she can go, she can take nicer vacations. And OnlyFans had just taken that away from her. I mean, forget about the Americans trapped in Afghanistan. Courtney is the one who really deserves our sympathy. Just a terrible story. Poor Courtney. But middle-aged, the middle-aged Courtneys of the world are now rejoicing because today the news broke that OnlyFans has changed its mind. Variety has the news, which uh, came out this morning. They say OnlyFans dropped plans to ban pornography from its service less than a week after the UK content creator subscription site had announced the change, citing the need to comply with policies of banking partners. On Wednesday, the company said it secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community, suggesting that it has new agreements with banks to pay OnlyFans content creators, including those who share sexually explicit material. Quote, thank you to everyone for making your voices heard. We have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community and have suspended the planned October 1st policy change. OnlyFans stands for inclusion, and we will continue to provide a home for all creators. Well, all creators except those with self-respect or an ounce of dignity. They will continue to be excluded from the OnlyFans community, which is no loss to them, I suppose. Now, after all of this drama, we're back where we started. In our society today, even just the very small positive step of one porn site being pressured to stop selling smut proved to be too large a leap. Just one site. It's all quite pathetic and a little depressing, but I think there are a few worthwhile points to make in relation to all of this. 
And I'll focus on just two of them. The first one is that we see how, thanks to OnlyFans and the porn industry more broadly, prostitution has been normalized. The left wants us, has always wanted us, to view sex work as real work. And prominent people, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other Democrats, have chanted this slogan, sex work is real work. All of the heartfelt accounts we've seen in the media, especially in the past week, about well-off middle-aged mothers who sell their bodies to strangers only demonstrates how normalized this has all become. Our culture has certainly bought into the notion that sex work is real work. But no matter how many people buy into it, it will remain as untrue as it has always been. Real work involves utilizing a skill or performing a service. Now, if this is being done as a job or a career, then the skill or service is sold in exchange for monetary com compensation. But there is no skill or talent or art involved in taking your clothes off on camera and showing people your genitals. In, in that case, the thing being sold is not a skill. You know, if you're a construction worker, you're using your body, yes, in the performance of your job. But what you're selling is your skill at being a construction worker, at building things. In the case of someone doing porn or prostitution, the thing being sold is your body. You're not using your body to perform a skill because there is no skill, but rather simply you're selling your body itself. Your body becomes the product. You make yourself, literally yourself, into an object to be consumed. You degrade yourself for the pleasure of faceless strangers. This is not work. It is humiliation. That you are a partner in your own humiliation doesn't change it and certainly doesn't make it valid or noble. One other point, going back to the consumers. Um, I called them sex-starved losers before, and uh, the starved part is an important qualifier because people who watch porn all day are not sex-crazed or sex-obsessed, as they are often accused. No, they are sexless, deprived, starved. Many studies have shown how people in our culture today are, are having fewer romantic relationships, fewer people are getting married, young people are even having less premarital sex. And that latter point may seem in some ways like a positive development, except that they aren't rejecting sex in the name of chastity. They've instead just replaced it with the internet. They have replaced human contact, human relationship with voyeurism. And I'm here to tell any young men who have made this trade, or young women for that matter, and plenty have as well, that it is not a good deal. You're getting robbed. You're robbing yourself. Now, you may feel that you're satisfying your romantic impulses. You may feel that you're fulfilling the human need for eros, which is erotic romantic love by sitting on your computer and watching other people have sexual encounters. But you're not satisfying or fulfilling anything, which is why you're depressed and in despair and lonely and unhappy and addicted to this thing that in reality you hate. That's why you're so defensive about it. See, if you tried to come to me and mock me for being married, I would just laugh at you. I mean, I'm fully confident in my decision to choose a living, breathing, flesh and blood woman over a computer image. I don't need to defend it. But when I criticize porn, you become extremely angry. The way that a heroin addict might get angry if you stage an intervention. So what does that tell you? 
Well, it tells you what you already know, which is that this stuff is poison and it's making you miserable. Our culture tells you that it's healthy and it's good and it's normal. But that's a lie. Another lie. One of many. Now let's get to our five headlines. Let's talk now about Bambi. You know, I know as well as anyone that HR issues can destroy your company. Well, I don't really know that from experience at all, but I know it because it's on this sheet that I'm reading right now. And it seems correct because you got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, all of that. Also, HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $70,000 a year you're going to be spending. That's why you need Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager. You can craft HR policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. That's going to be a lot cheaper than the $70,000 a year. Do the math on that because I can't. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat from onboarding to terminations. They customize your policies to fit your business, and they help to uh, manage your employees on a day-to-day basis, all for just $99 a month. So go now to Bambi.com slash Walsh right now and schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Walsh, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Walsh. You know, we uh, discussed yesterday the very troubling trend called the uh, milk crate challenge where people stack together milk crates to make a kind of a pyramid and then try to walk up and over it. And and usually they fall and land in horrifying sort of pretzel-like shapes. And doctors are warning about this trend. The media is very concerned. And it's very bad. It's terrible. Um, We played a a few of the videos yesterday, but um, I had one other. Maybe we should just play a couple more before we get into the news because, again, really this is about education. It's also I really want to emphasize how terrible all this is and um, I want you to understand what's going on out there in the world. And if you see milk crates stacked up somewhere, uh, I-, I want you to know what all that means. So let's play just a- one more of these just to see uh, really. So this is what the milk crate challenge is. I want you to watch this. And it's very, oh, my. oh right on his head. Now, you break your neck doing that. And I don't know if you didn't get a good look at that. We'll just put, we'll put one up one more up here. Because uh, that happened kind of fast. So we'll play one more. But so this guy, he's like, oh, well, that. Now, that is not. That's <laughs> not good at all. That, the guy was standing in the milk crate. And someone else came and kicked the milk crates out. You could kill someone doing that. That guy could be dead. I, I, that is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Anyway, I bring this up, really, because uh, I, at watching these videos, I felt inspired, and there's a real part of me that wants to try it, only because, I'll tell you why. It's not because I'm stupid. That might be part of it, but none of these people have the right strategy. So I feel like it may be, really really for the good of everybody, really to to protect other people, I want to do the Milk Crate Challenge myself to show you how it's done so that we can, so we won't have any more of these, any more neck and spinal cord injuries. Because the, the mistake people make is when they get to the top milk crate, they stop. You never have two feet on the same milk crate. Okay, that's the strategy. Keep moving. You got to go with the momentum. And I want to be able to demonstrate this. And I had this idea of doing the milk crate challenge. I was talking to my wife about it last night. And here's what she said to me. These are her words. She said, you're too old. Um, you'll look stupid. 
and you'll wreck your face. That's what she said to me. This is the kind of doubt that I have to encounter. And then uh, our producers, Sean and McKenna, put a poll up for you folks in the audience, said, should Matt do the milk crate challenge? And apparently, almost everyone said no. So I feel betrayed, really, in many ways. I would think you, of all people, would want me to do it. So I'm, I, haven't, I haven't ruled it out. I do, I feel, I, this is a calling that I feel from the universe. I feel like the universe is just, it's my fate, it's my destiny atop those milk crates. So we'll see. All right, let's uh, move on to the real, real news here. Away from the milk crates for a moment. Let's start with this. Buster Rhymes at a concert. He's a, a rapper who, well, he was, I don't know if he's still making music, but back in the 90s, he was a big deal. And, but he's still out there and he was uh, at a concert couple days ago, and he launches into what I think, unironically, I say this is a profound and powerful speech railing against masking mandates and standing up for liberty. It also requires some courage here because the, the audience is not entirely with him, especially because of how political this whole issue is. It doesn't need to be political, but it is. So let's, uh, let's listen to that. COVID could suck a- He's right. You can't holler at a chick. I've been making that point from from day one. I wish I had thought to say that in my school board speech. First of all, with these masks on, we can't holler at chicks. Maybe it's better that I didn't include that, uh, especially at a, at a school board. But he, you know, if, you, if you get past the profanity and everything, he's he's expressing it in his own way as a rapper. But uh, but he's he's a hundred percent right. And this is also not, nothing that makes it important here is I'm assuming, not stereotype, but I'm assuming that Buster Rhymes is not a conservative Republican, presumably. And yet he also feels that it is absurd for the people in power to be telling you that you can't breathe freely. You're not allowed to go out and breathe fresh air. Um, if that's not oppressive, then I don't know what is. It's actually hard to imagine a, a more oppressive a policy policy than that. Trying to control your ability to breathe fresh air. 
And these other things that he focuses a lot on how we can't pick up uh, signals that we're sending each other, facial signals. We can't see each other smile. And I know it's very easy when you say, well, the mask, you can't see each other smile. It's really easy for someone in the pro-mask side, someone in the mask cult to say, oh, who cares about see each other smile? We're in a pandemic. Why does that matter? It actually does matter. You know, you know why it matters? Because we're human beings. And, and we're not robots. And this is an important part of human interaction. It's, a, it's a, an essential part of, of communication. Actually, the majority of the communication that we do with each other and to each other is nonverbal. And so removing that, not, not even, not for a couple of days, not in a limited circumstance, okay, but, but indefinitely, inside and outside, having whole cities full of people walking around with their faces covered, removing that, I think, does profound psychological damage. And removing that from kids, especially. Yeah, taking away a child's ability to putting, we could put everything else to the side. Simply taking away a child's ability to smile at someone and see them smiling back does extraordinary harm. And you would have to have um, a very, very good reason to even consider something like this. And we don't have it here with COVID, which poses almost no threat to kids whatsoever. But this is, this is what we're doing, saying we can't breathe freely. And uh, speaking of that, the Oregon governor, Kate Brown, has just imposed another mask mandate. And this is for people outdoors and even if they're vaccinated. Let's listen to this. Today, I'm announcing that effective Friday, August 27th, masks will be required in all public outdoor settings where physical distancing is not possible, regardless of vaccination status. Masks have proven to be effective at reducing transmission and are a necessary measure right now, even in some outdoor settings, to help us fight COVID and to protect one another. You know, the most dishonest part of that, well, the whole thing is, uh, the whole thing is that the very idea that you need to wear a mask when you're outside, even if you're vaccinated. What is the chance? They never do this, of course. They never give the data. I want you, Kate Brown or someone, tell me the statistical likelihood that a vaccinated person outside is going to transmit or contract COVID. Never mind the fact that if they do contract it, it's almost certain going to be a mild case of the sniffles. So who cares anyway? This is why all of this panicking over, look at the cases, the cases are up. Who gives a damn about the cases? That doesn't matter. I got news for you. I I don't care if if all 330 million people in this country have a case. That in and of itself doesn't mean anything. If the vast majority of those people just have a cough and, and, and are sneezing a little bit, have a runny nose, what matters is the severity of the case. That's what matters. And for the vast majority of people in the country right now, their chances of having a severe case is very, very diminished either because of natural immunity or because they had the vaccine. So the whole thing is dishonest, but also where she says right now. 
Well, it's the best thing right now. They've been saying right now for 18 months. Ah, right now. Only right now. Only right now. When is it not going to be right now? What, what is the end game? They've never told us that. A year and a half in, they still have not told us the end game. Because there isn't one and there never was one. They still won't say it though. And the media doesn't ask. Because the message that we're getting from places like Oregon or California or New York or certainly Australia and New Zealand and plenty of other countries across the globe, the message that we're getting is as long as COVID exists, as long as even one person in the whole damn country has it, as was the case in New Zealand, we have to have these measures in place. So the end game is COVID zero, no COVID anywhere. Well, that's never, ever, ever going to happen. And I'll tell you something else. They've known from the beginning that was never going to happen. The so-called public health authorities, they knew from the very beginning. They know what a coronavirus is. They know it's not going to go away. There are some afflictions and plagues and pandemics um, that we have been able to basically eradicate. But not, not all illnesses are the same. And a respiratory virus that travels through the air, you're not going to get rid of it any more than we can get rid of the flu. They've always known that. So the choice all along has been we stop doing all of this right now completely or we do it forever. That really is, it's one or the other. There's actually no in-between that makes any sense. Anything in between is arbitrary. Oh, we'll do this for another year and a half and then we'll stop. Why? I mean, a year and a half, we're going to be in the same spot that we are now. Which is that it's out there. It's not... Uh, it's uh, relatively mild in most cases, but it's out there. Staying on the COVID end of things here, Daily Wire has this report. Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota is not backing Republican legislation seeking to ban so-called vaccine mandates within the state. Republican State Representative John Hansen and Scott Odenbach are trying to null businesses' mandates mandating their employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19 through the COVID-19 Vaccine Freedom of Conscience Act. Noam claims such legislation is a slippery slope that could lead to other dictates toward businesses that Republicans might not like. Noam said, quote, if we mandate one thing, are we setting a precedent for what we're telling businesses they have to do far into the future? The Republican governor has, though, banned vaccine mandates for employees in state and local governments. Oh, a mandate is a slippery slope. If we, if we as Republicans use our power that we've been given by the people because we're a duly elected government, state government, if we use our power to mandate something, then, uh, I mean, in the future, we might be expected to use our power again, God forbid. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, it is a slippery slope, Noam. And that, that's what it's, it's a slippery slope to... Uh, your citizens and the people who elected you expecting you to actually use the power you've been given. You're damn right it's a slippery slope in that sense. It's not a slippery slope in the sense that, well, if we mandate this, then we'll have to mandate everything. No, that's where discernment comes in. Gnome. That's where you make judgment calls. Okay? Not, not, not every situation is the same. No one says that if you mandate businesses have to do this, that you have to take away all freedom from businesses altogether. 
and take away, strip all of their power and, and the government has to take over and uh, nationalize all the businesses. Nobody's saying that. This is a particular circumstance where freedom and liberty is under dire threat. And you can address that circumstance with the power that you've been given. I, I tell you what, I'm, I am done and have been done for a long time with these Republicans who are too afraid to use their power. What is it you want to do, Christy? I mean, you didn't want to use, you don't want to use your power here. You didn't want to use your power um, over, over schools to stop them from putting men into uh, women's sports. Just like the Republican governor in um, Arkansas didn't want to use his power to stop children from, from being uh, generally mutilated. So what do you want to use your power to do? You have it. What do you expect to do? Well, the answer is for these Republicans, they expect to do nothing. They want to be given the power just so that they have it. And then they want to sit there and do nothing and wait until they're out of power. And then they can start talking again about all the things they would be doing if they only had that power again. That's the game for Republicans that has been that same game for decades now. When they're out of power, they say, give us the power. There's so many things. Here's all the things we could do. And then the voters say, okay, well, here you go. And then instead of doing things, all they, they, they spend their time coming up with excuses and saying, well, eh, hang on, actually, we can't do that because X, Y, Z, and no, that's not going to work because of these reasons over here. And if we do this over here, well, then the Democrats will do it when they're in, in power. No use for these Republicans who have made themselves useless. No use for Christy Nome. Christy Nome is a very attractive woman. So she's got that going for her. That, as far as I can tell, that's the only reason why she was ever looked at as some sort of 2024 potential frontrunner. The hype and everything that she's gotten from conservative media is entirely based on the fact that she's an extremely attractive woman, which she is. But, you know, you put 50 pounds on her and another 20 years, I don't think she gets any of the hype. Because outside of that, she's just a she's just your standard sort of corporatist establishment Republican who's not interested in doing anything. We, we got to do a lot better than that. Gimmicky Republicans getting elected based on how they look or whatever, that's that's those days have to be over. We can't afford that. I don't care what you look like. I don't care about any of that. M my first qualifier as a voter is, are you going to use the power that you are asking us to give you? If you're not, then sit down. All right, let's see. What else do we got here? Uh, it's also from the Daily Wire. It says, on Monday, President Biden got down on one knee for a photo when he welcomed the WNBA champion Seattle Storm to the White House. Biden's kneel, which some interpreted as a symbolic gesture in support of Black Lives Matter, prompted a response, a response from Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Uh, before we get to that response, actually, because it's a great response, but let's look at the picture. Here, here he is with the Seattle Storm, which is apparently a WNBA team. I know you and I, for the first time, are learning that the Seattle Storm existed. We're learning that there was a WNBA championship and that they won it, so congratulations to them. Can we also look at who is the, uh, the the woman there in the 
in the gray dress, and it looks like she's got pants on under the dress. Now, we know, in me as a fashion icon, of course, I'm going to zero in on that, but what, what, ex- what the hell is she wearing, first of all? But more to the point, we got the President of the United States kneeling down. I mean, it's possible he just decided to pose that way. Seems unlikely. I mean, it probably took him 45 minutes to get up from that position, given how old he is. So that would seem to be a symbolic gesture in support of Black Lives Matter. That would, that would be my assumption. I don't know why else he would pose that way. You know, typically, presidents are going to be standing alongside the people. But then let's see how uh, this was received by people on the left and by Black Lives Matter itself. Um, it, we go back to Daily Wire. It says Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Uh, said, and this is reported by Yahoo, she said, the president's possible gesture was admirable, but we cannot just have symbolic progress. She said of Biden, where is that kind of passion and energy and commitment to voting rights? Because I'm not seeing him actually be able to say that he's willing to do that. So he he gets on his his knee uh, begging for approval, literally on his knees begging for approval. And of course, as always, It's not enough. It's not good enough because it never is. All right, next we have this from the National Review. Here's a really interesting report. It says, Planned Parenthood dresses itself up in pink and calls itself an essential women's health care organization, but its business model tells a different story. Each year, Planned Parenthood clinics perform upwards of 330,000 abortions, making the group the most prolific abortion provider in the country. But recently, Planned Parenthood has quietly begun expanding into a new arena, hormone therapy for individuals with gender dysphoria. Um, a service the group calls gender-affirming care. Um, Hormone therapy has become popular as a means of artificially suppressing the sex characteristics of those who feel misaligned with their biological sex. And now it says, uh, Planned Parenthood's most recent report from 2019 recorded more than 200 centers in 31 states that provide hormone therapy for transgender patients. According to the group's website, that number is even larger now, close to 300 centers across 38 states. Um, maybe this will be enough for, for anyone, especially on the right, who still doesn't understand why this is an important issue. But why is Planned Parenthood getting involved in it? Why do you think Planned Parenthood has decided that now they want to start handing out hormone therapy? That's got nothing to do with so-called reproductive rights. What you're doing in in many cases is you're making it impossible for people to reproduce. So this is the organization that bills itself as the leading provider of uh, reproductive health care. And now they're giving out pills that are make people impotent, infertile, unable to reproduce. Which actually, the more that you think about it, it kind of makes sense because that's what they do with abortion. That, that's always been the morbid irony of Planned Parenthood is that they say that they're interested in uh, reproductive health, but it's actually reproductive dis- destruction is what they're trying to do. They're trying to destroy the capacity to reproduce. And they're trying to destroy what has been reproduced already. Because as we know, I mean, uh, abortion itself has nothing to do with, if the word reproductive rights or reproductive justice means anything at all, Abortion can't be related to it because once abortion happens, as I have always said, the reproduction has already occurred. You are killing something that's already been reproduced. So in another sense, it actually makes a lot, it, it actually makes a lot of sense. 
that they would get involved in this. Because their MO, their mission, is to prevent reproduction. This is another means by which to do that. So I guess that um, we can't be too surprised by that. On this same uh, note here, here's a, uh, we haven't played a crazy TikTok video in a while. Well, when I say while, I mean like we haven't played one in maybe two days. So here's one that went viral. Here is a uh, person who identifies, I think, as both trans and non-binary. And they're explaining why, uh, you know, if you're a parent, you shouldn't be concerned about him going into a restroom with your young daughter. He explains why. Here it is. I hope everyone knows that we need to protect the women and children has been used against marginalized people for most of human history. These comments upset me because it's anti-trans, of course, but also it strikes me as anti-your own daughters, anti-young people, anti-women. If you are a young person, if you're a daughter, if you are a woman, would you do me a favor? Please let all of the men in your life know that you can take care of yourself. Let them know you don't need protecting and that you especially don't want protection if it means erasing trans people from public life. Yes, he says, nothing creepy about that at all. The guy, the man in the dress here says that, no, 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 don't, don't worry about protecting your daughter when I walk into the restroom with her. She doesn't, she can handle herself. That's what this guy is saying. Don't, no, no, she can take care of herself. And, you know, th- this is coming from someone who uh, they're saying, oh, your, your daughter, she could take care of herself. She doesn't need to be protected. You don't need to infantilize her. You're infantilizing your daughter by trying to stop grown men in dresses from walking into the bathroom and potentially abusing them. Meanwhile, this same person would say, I'm sure, that if you use the wrong pronoun in his presence, you're, you're causing him deep psychological and even physical harm. So here's what he's actually saying. He's not saying, oh, no, no, don't, don't protect your daughter. Everyone can handle themselves. That would, that would be bad enough, but at least there'd be some consistency to that if his message is, well, I'll let everyone take care of themselves. No, what he's saying is, what this man in the dress and the lipstick and the, uh, and the goofy makeup, what he's saying is he's, he's looking at you and saying, no, prioritize protecting me instead of your daughter. Prioritize protecting my emotional and mental well-being over the physical health and safety of your daughter. That's actually what he's saying. And he feels... Think about where we are in society that that a man would feel comfortable. It's one thing to think that way. But that a man feels comfortable getting in front of a camera and saying that out loud? Don't worry about protecting your daughter. No, it's it's me. I'm the one you should worry about how I feel. Because if you make me go in the uh, the men's bathroom, I'm I'm not going to feel good about that. I won't feel good. Your daughter might not feel good with a grown man in the in the bathroom with him, and she might actually be in physical danger, but uh, don't worry about that. Worry about me. He feels perfectly comfortable sitting in front of a camera and saying that to the public. He shouldn't, because that is a grotesque 
uh, sentiment, to say the very least. All right, crucial report here from BuzzFeed. Beyonce and Jay-Z are the faces of the new Tiffany & Company About Love campaign launching on September 2nd. In the campaign, the couple is featured in front of a never-before-seen painting from Jean-Michael Basquiat, uh, his private collection, and the painting is called Equals Pie. For for the campaign, the painting has been reimagined in signature Tiffany Blue, and it was reportedly bought by Tiffany's from a private seller. And people are upset about this uh, because this uh, this cherished painting from this great, allegedly this great artist is being used in a Tiffany's ad campaign. So let's take a look at this thing here. There is the uh, the painting. Never, never before seen. This was in a private collection. Now it's being used by Tiffany's. And you see there, that's the... Now this guy, his paintings have sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. And this is what we get from him. That is... Literally just, that's my divider in my binder in seventh grade. Random doodles. This is at best the collective work of the random graffiti artists who use a rest stop bathroom stall. Just a bunch of people with a a pen in hand, pen in one hand, you know, the other pen in the other hand, scrawling random images on a bathroom stall. That's what that is. And if that went up for sale, it would sell for like $150 million, I guarantee it. There's modern art for you. All right, moving on now to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Evan says, Matt, if I only watched your show, I'd think all teachers are either gossiping busybodies, marginally functional alcoholics, Ralph Wiggum ladies, social rejects out for revenge, or pedophiles. Unfortunately, that's consistent with my observations too. Uh, th- no, Well, that's, that, that of course is, uh, for all the grief I give teachers, that is not actually an accurate reflection of all teachers or even most teachers. It's just those are the ones, especially the gossiping busybodies and all that, those are the ones who are in, in public. Those are the ones getting all the attention, which is, act, which is why I actually feel bad for teachers. I feel bad for the good ones. Same thing for nurses and doctors and healthcare providers. The ones getting all the attention are the ones who want all the attention are in front of cameras, whining and complaining and, and so on and so forth. But it's certainly not ever, not everyone. Uh, another comment says, Matt, I love watching the other Daily Wire hosts pitch the SBG anthem, especially Ben. He's clearly galled at the idea, but he has to play along. Well, exactly. It is all according to plan. Uh, John says, the life and work of Kinsey is one of those things you wish that you could unlearn. Yeah, you do wish you could unlearn it, but but uh, I-, I wish it wasn't true, so we didn't have to learn it. Maybe that's how I would put it. But it is true, and this is something... This. It's a name we should all know, and some of the basic facts that I gave about Kinsey and also John Money yesterday, these are the basic facts we should all also know. And when it comes to Kinsey, I would encourage you to go and do your own research on this. Um, I barely even scratched the surface because of time constraints. But what I told you about Kinsey, that's not even the worst of it. If you can imagine, it actually gets worse from there. So I would encourage you to go and do your research because like it or not, and uh, none of us do, at least none of the same people do. We live in a, in a country, in a society, a culture that was built in large part by this man. Um, Chloe says, Matt Walsh goes to Applebee's. I'm offended. I do go to Applebee's. I go to Chili's. I go to the, I am a unapologetic defender of chain restaurants. 
I think, you know, I, I just don't, I think I've said before, I, I don't believe all the people who turn their noses up at these chain restaurants, I don't believe that they hate the restaurants as much as they say, because it's, a, it's, it's not the best food in the world, but it's pretty solid. You, you usually know what you're going to get, and it'll be a solid, like anytime you go to Applebee's or Chili's, you're going to get a solid C plus B minus meal. And you know that. And it's not terrible. Um, Wider Ganger says, Kinsey, by the way, is also a rather interesting movie starring Liam Neeson. I haven't seen that movie, but from what I understand, it is an enormous whitewashing exercise. Uh, I, I, I don't think that, from what I've been told, the Kinsey movie does not go into any of the sordid details that I described, which means it's really not telling you the story of Kinsey at all. Dante says, I can't agree with you on the Ashley Babbitt case. I don't feel bad that she was shot dead. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. I don't believe she should have died, and I think it's a sad tragedy, but she was doing something incredibly stupid, and if I'm going to be in favor of the BLM and Antifa terrorists getting shot on sight when caught looting or rioting, then uh, I have to be okay with this. Well, uh, there's a couple of issues here. First of all, one of the problems is a matter of consistency. That's why I said they haven't told us the name of the officer. They have not officially released the name of the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. I could be okay with that if that's how they approached all of these kinds of situations. But in almost every other situation you can name where there was a controversial police shooting, they come out with the name right away. They tell us everything they can about this person. So there's the inconsistency there. And also, we have not seen this kind of aggressiveness uh, this kind of lethal force used against rioters in any other situation. It's only in this situation. And yeah, she shouldn't have been there. She should not have been climbing through the windows. It's a very stupid thing to do. Does that, does that mean you just, does that justify someone in shooting you dead though because you're doing something stupid? The question really comes down to, uh, did that officer have a very good reason to think that Ashley Babbitt posed a lethal threat to him or someone on the other side of that door? Did he have good reason to think that his only option was to kill this person? Now, we're not fully able to analyze that question or come to a conclusion because they've never told us really what his side of the story is. We haven't heard from him. We haven't seen any security camera footage. There's a lot of information we don't have. They're not telling us. The fact that they're not telling us makes me suspect that the information we're not being told would not vindicate the officer. Because if it would, they would, they would tell us. If, for example, there was some kind of security camera footage that clearly vindicated the officer in his actions, then I would assume we would see that by now. They would have, they would have shown it to us. So we are uh, handicapped a little bit in trying to analyze this. But based on what we see, I don't see how you justify that. I, I don't see how he could have really believed that he had no choice but to shoot this person dead. Especially when she's a woman, unarmed. I mean, you can, you can see her climbing over the window, so she's got nothing in her hands. Climbing over the window. She's surrounded on all sides by armed people. This guy, he's not even the only armed officer in that hall, on the other side of the door in that hallway. There are other ones there. there are, there's armed uh, police officers coming up the stairs behind her. She's completely surrounded. It's really hard for me to believe that he could have honestly thought and reasonably thought that he had no choice but to shoot her dead. He could have just come over to her and grabbed her and thrown her to the ground. And he could have been as rough about that as he wanted to be. 
So I just, I don't see it personally. You know, on Monday, the FDA announced approval of the Pfizer vaccine. As if on cue, Joe Biden decided that the, it was the right time to urge private companies to mandate vaccines for their employees. After the mess he left in Afghanistan, I think it's an appropriate time to question his actions. And I'm not sure there's a better place to do that than on backstage with myself, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin, where we're going to have another debate uh, and another conversation. There's going to be a whole lot to talk about, so make sure you tune in that for that. It streams this Thursday at 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on dailywire.com and on our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. You don't want to miss that. And you definitely don't want to miss this. If you haven't submitted your Sweet Baby Gang anthem yet, then you'll be missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Your life will never, you will live in regret for the rest of your life. You'll tell your grandchildren about the day. Oh, I could have been the, I could have been the one who wrote the Sweet Baby Anthem. Could have, would have, should have. Now's your chance to write it and submit it today. This is your last day. Do it. All submissions should be in the form of YouTube video links and will be judged American Idol style by myself and the other Daily Wire hosts. But you, the viewer, will be voting on which song wins. So to enter, go to dailywire.com SBG submissions. And today, August 25th at midnight. So do it right now. We have an incredibly exciting announcement to share today. Deadline Hollywood just announced the details and an exclusive photo of the Daily Wire's first original film called Shut In, directed by DJ Caruso and executive produced by Daily Wire co-founders. Uh, production on the thriller wrapped this weekend and will be available to Daily Wire members beginning in January 2022. The film is centered around a young single mother who's barricaded inside a pantry by her violent ex-boyfriend while using nothing but her voice to guide her two small children to escape escalating danger. It's an intense, suspenseful thriller that delivers riveting action without missing a single beat. The trailer for Shut In will be out very soon, and we know our members will love this film. We entered the entertainment space in order to send Hollywood a message that you no longer have a monopoly on the film industry, and the release of Shut In is just the next step in proving it. So you got to make sure you're around to check that out. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. In this uh, troubled and extraordinarily stupid age, we can always count on two things come summertime. One is that we'll be told by the media and various hectoring voices on the internet that global warming is to blame for the high temperatures and um, the, uh, the you know, thousands across the world are dying because of it. And the other is that those same people in the media and those same hectoring voices will insist that although we are all allegedly boiling to death, we must not use air conditioning because air conditioning is evil. Why is it evil? Well, the fun thing is to find out what reasons they'll give um, at any given time. Uh, all they know to begin with is that air conditioning exists and it was invented by a white person and it makes people happy and it makes life more enjoyable and so it must be bad. The writer Eric Dean Wilson is one of the latest to take a stab at explaining why air conditioning is a form of sorcery. He wrote a whole book on the subject, actually published in July, titled um, After Cooling on Freon Global Warming and the Terrible Cost of Comfort. Now, I can't tell you exactly what the book says because I'd rather be decapitated by a butter knife than read it, but I did skim a Seattle Times interview with the author. And the first question in that interview, I'm not making this up, the first question is, how was the public sold on the idea that feeling comfortable was okay? Yeah, how dare the public feel comfortable, especially without asking Eric Dean Wilson first? Well, Wilson explains that comfort is a capitalist conspiracy, and then he goes on to talk about how air conditioning has increased racial inequality and has become, and I quote, a pretty insidious tool for racial segregation. It's also destroying the planet and causing temperatures to rise, he insists. Now, here I am, stupid enough to think that the giant ball of gas in the sky burning at 27 million degrees and exerting enough gravitational force to influence objects floating in space 12 trillion miles away is really the driver of temperature and climate on our puny planet, but I'm wrong again. 
your HVAC unit is really responsible. So air, con- air conditioning is racist and it's killing the planet. It's also sexist, we, uh, we've been told. The writer Taylor Lorenz has described air conditioning as unhealthy, bad, miserable, and sexist. Many other female writers have joined the chorus explaining that air conditioning is a misogynistic uh, plot, basically, uh, because women tend to feel cold, and AC units and offices are often set at temperatures that are uncomfortable for the fairer sex. Now, that may be generally true, but look, sorry, ladies, you need to suck it up on this one, because if you're cold... Here's, here's the way this breaks down. If you're cold, you can always put on a sweater. If I'm hot, I can only take off so many items of clothing before you start calling the police. So this is why the warmest person in the home or in the office gets to decide where the AC is set. Those are the rules. I didn't make them up. Well, I did make them up, but even so, they are the rules. But we aren't done yet. A recent uh, viral video brings us back to the racist element of air conditioning. And let's uh, let's hear how they make the case. Here it is. So many reasons I can think of off the top of my head why Americans are addicted to air conditioning. So many reasons, but the most infuriating one is that our buildings are built wrong. In a great stitch, Desiree Stevens talked about how it was because of white supremacy and colonialism. Indigenous people had air conditioning through streams of water built underneath the ground or in ways that worked in the natural landscape, such as building in the shade. And there are so many more examples from what we call vernacular architecture. For example, wind catchers from Iran, a famously hot place, these were incredibly effective cooling systems. These traditional Malay houses are designed to be porous that allow for cross ventilation. Here's another self-ventilating house from Southern Turkey. So if the colonizers had not killed everybody and learned how they could naturally cool their buildings, we might not need air conditioning. So when y'all are like, oh, it doesn't matter the field of architecture is based in white supremacy, it's still like great design. (laughs) It's bad design because we have to burn oil to not get heat stroke to live in these stupid buildings because you won't respect vernacular architecture. Okay, so let me uh, interject a few things here. First, why are Americans addicted to air conditioning? Well, because it's great. It's wonderful. it, It is one of the objectively good, superior things about modern society. It is one modern invention that actually has no downside. The only downside to air conditioning is if you don't have it. And if you don't, I mean, I don't know what to say. You got to go get yourself some of this because it's magical. You're missing out. As for the supposedly superior forms of primitive air conditioning, yeah, before air conditioning, people in the hotter areas of the world would sometimes live under cliffs or in caves. The lady in the video laments that we're no longer cave dwellers, even though there are still plenty of uninhabited caves in the world. And She's more than free to take up residence in any one of them where she can experience the pure, more organic form of cooling along with the pure, organic bats and spiders and snakes who will all be her roommates, I'm sure. But do you know what people mainly did before air conditioning? Um, They suffered and they sweat and they smelled terrible, one can assume. And they died of heat stroke a lot. It's true that domiciles of all types were built back in those days to accommodate the heat as best they could, whereas homes today are not built to accommodate the heat because the assumption is that we'll all have air conditioning like civilized people. But emphasis is on the phrase as best they could. It was still very hot and uncomfortable and gross and smelly. Anyone who spent time in the warmer parts of the world where air conditioning is still scarce can attest to that fact. But what we really see with this kind of thing is how white supremacy is so often recommended by the people who are trying to condemn it. Now, I don't believe that white supremacy gave us air conditioning. I believe that credit goes to a guy named Willis Carrier in Pittsburgh in 1902. But if white supremacy did give us air conditioning, well, then I guess that's at least one good thing about white supremacy. 
Thank you, white supremacy, for that one, I guess. See, the ironic consequence of tying everything back to white supremacy is that you end up making it sound like not such a bad thing after all. The left now will blame white supremacy for everything from air conditioning to, if you recall that graphic on the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History website a while back, uh, they also blame it for hard work, objectivity, rational thinking. This is all white supremacy. So does that mean that it's white supremacy which enables us to sit in a cool living room on a summer day and have an interesting, rational conversation with our friends? That's not my claim, but it would seem to be the claim of the very people who imagine themselves to be battling against white supremacy. It's an interesting combat strategy, isn't it? White supremacy is evil and it's everywhere, and it's also the reason why your home is comfortable and you aren't dying of heat stroke. Isn't this bad? I mean, are you sure it's evil then? Sounds kind of nice by your telling. The other problem, of course, is the familiar one, that the people complaining about modern conveniences like air conditioning, not just complaining about them, but labeling them wicked and racist and deadly, most certainly do not forego those conveniences themselves. I could actually somewhat respect someone who thinks that AC is a Nazi conspiracy if they lived by those convictions and chose to roast in the summertime or go live in a vernacular mud hut under a cliff or in a hole underground or something. I can almost respect any principle, maybe not agree with it, but respect it to some degree, if the person professing it also endeavors to live according to it. But the people who allegedly hate all of the technology bequeathed to them by Western civilization never choose to forfeit any of it. They enjoy the luxury and comfort these things provide to them while whining about how evil and terrible all of it is. This is a far-reaching problem, actually, in our society. It's not just on the left. Very few people really make any attempt to live according to their professed value systems, which means that everybody is arguing with each other and defending worldviews that they don't really subscribe to and whose implications they don't understand because they have never tried to put it into practice. This is not just a problem with air conditioning critics, but they are certainly among the most egregious examples. And for that reason, I can declare from my cool climate-controlled studio that they are all today canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Enjoy that air conditioning, everybody. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Joe Biden rejects European pleas to extend the August 31st evacuation deadline, instead bowing before the Taliban. And the White House tries to spin the situation as a gigantic win. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen.